All right, so um, continue. If you guys, you guys have Bibles, well, I, you don't need a class outline, but if you do, that's great too. Um, turn into your Bible. So today we're actually, I know we watched John's baptism today in the film, but I was told that you guys didn't see that last week, so um, need to show it. Also, in this film, what we were going to talk about today, what we are going to talk about today is not in the film, just leaving it out. We decided to leave it out of the story. And that is the temptation stories after Jesus' baptism. So I teased, I just said to Carol, I said, hey, that was, the, that was the temptation scene where he walks away up on the hill. I guess, I mean, I don't know. Which actually says something. Um, not to get too far ahead, but one of the things that uh, I uh, learned is um, in... Early Christian art, medieval art, it's not really until the Renaissance, the temptation scenes are actually painted. It's one of the, I mean, it's in all three, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Um, It serves a really big deal in the stories of the Gospels. But yet, it's always been hard to picture and show. So, the fact that Jesus of Nazareth, this film, which is like six hours, I mean, it's whatever, it's like six and a half hours. You know, you don't think couldn't they fit another twenty minutes or something into it? They uh, they didn't include it. The other thing too is that the most recent Jesus movie, The Son of God, that was a couple years ago, is from the the Bible miniseries. That also has no temptation scene in it. So that that's saying something. When you leave something out, you're making this choice. What does that mean? Sort of choice. So. Um, before we do that, we should probably take a look at the temptation scenes in the Gospels because my hope is to get, to get through at least uh, four scenes from four different movies of temptation scenes um, because as we take a look at the temptations, uh, we'll realize why it's, it's, they're very hard to, to, to pick and kind of capture because there are a lot of things going on that, in fact, our eyes are drawn to, but at the same time, we might not be drawn to the most fundamental things in these stories themselves. So, Matthew chapter 4 is, we're just going to kind of go order of the, Matthew chapter 4 is the temptation of Jesus. Um, the setting of it is in the wilderness. So, the, 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 I'm sorry, it happens right after Jesus' baptism. Jesus goes into the wilderness. It's 40 days and 40 nights. That's kind of unusual for Matthew. Uh, the, 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 the 40 nights aspect. And then he's fasting. Jesus is between Jesus and the devil. Although the devil is also called the tempter. But the word for tempt could also be translated as tester. So this is all very important for us because when we think of temptation, what are we, what are we kind of thinking about or withstanding temptation? What is usually, how do we picture temptation? What's our feelings? And maybe I should ask this way What's the difference between temptation and testing? Okay, Marilyn, choice. You want to do it? Well, okay, so. All right. Okay. 
It's not as clear cut. Yeah. I mean, you take a math test, right? 2 plus 2. A equals 3. B equals 4. C equals 5. That's how we most, I think most of the time we think of testing. Or, what you know? No, from an experimental Testing a hypothesis. All right, great. Excellent. See, this is really, I mean, this, so all these are played into this scenario. But when we think of temptation, we often think about being enticed, you know, playing with our desires. And that's, that's part of this, these stories. But at the same time, it's not. At the same time, it's, it's like what Carol says. It's, you know, we're going to try to figure things out. All right, that's important for us because um, because of the temptations themselves. So the three temptations in Matthew are turning stones into bread. Of course, Jesus is hungry, so we think the devil's trying to have him satisfy his hunger, when in fact, that's, that's actually not quite, quite it. Um, when Jesus says here, I mean, when uh, Satan says, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread, he quotes, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. It is a life according to. So when Satan is tempting him, he's tempting him not to like give in to like, you know, my diet, right? You know, I'm, 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 uh, I want to get ready for my, you know, swimming suit body. And I have to maintain this regiment. And Satan's trying to tempt me out of that regiment. That's actually not... What's happening, it is Satan's actually, primarily I should say, primarily Satan's trying to tempt him to say, are you going to have a life according to bread or a life according to God? By the word of God. Okay? Um, primarily speaking, of course, you know, in the background, when you fast, why do you fast? I mean, this all is based on why you fast. The, the one thing, too, though, is the word if in the English translations. Um, another way to translate the Greek is, since you are the Son of God, command these. And that's probably a little bit clearer of a translation, mainly because what has just been declared at the baptism of Jesus? Yeah. You know, when God says you are the Son of God, I mean, I don't, I don't know if Jesus is really struggling at this moment whether he is a Son of God. The struggle is not whether he's a son of God, but what kind of son of God he is. What does it mean to be the son of God? So, um, and, and Satan's trying to draw him out of that to have the son of, well, we'll get to that in a second. So, all right. So, throw himself down from the pinnacle of the temple, meaning that as the son of God, are you going to reveal yourself in glory or humility? Because, of course, if he's going to throw himself from the temple and the angels come and rescue him, who's all going to see him do this? Yeah, the priests, all of Israel, this is how the Messiah is supposed to come. He's supposed to come down at the temple. In fact, um, kind of visually speaking, and there's only one movie that really does this well, and it happens to be The Miracle Maker, which is a claymation movie, uh, <laughs> where if, if Jesus, so the way you kind of space it, if Jesus throws himself off the pinnacle of the temple, where would he actually land if you know your temple geography? would land on something. The altar. So that, of course, is Old Testament, right? God comes on the smoke, the fire, the altar. So 
Jesus would throw himself off the temple and come down in glory because that's where God always comes. All right, but that's not what's happening, right? Because Jesus has got a different plan. All right, then the last one is to um, fall down and worship God, Satan, sorry. Uh, the first two are these uh, kind of conditional clauses, since you are the son of God. The last one is just like, he's going to go right at him. So the issue isn't Jesus' identity, that was well established, but how that identity is embodied. You know, what does it mean to be the Son of God? So already at the beginning of Matthew, Luke, Mark, and John too, but he does it differently, is Jesus' Jesus's, um, uh, when he comes, he's, he's coming down, he, he wants to drive downward. He wants to get into the life of man and work from the bottom up, in a sense, not from the top down. All right. Um, oh, and I just have to include a little bit about angels, because I'm going to just tell you right now, none of the films and also a lot of art, never they don't have any angels ever. I don't know why. Okay, the background. In Matthew, Matthew chapter 4, Jesus quotes, well, first of all, 40 days and 40 nights, um, Moses back in Exodus 34 spends time with God, 40 days, 40 nights, and he doesn't eat or drink. So, good first century Jewish person who's already been exposed to the first three chapters of Matthew is already thinking Jesus is kind of like Moses, but, but not exactly like Moses. What's going on? So, this is, uh, this is important. So, when Jesus quotes, he quotes three scriptures from Deuteronomy 8, Deuteronomy 8.3, Deuteronomy 6.16, and 6.13. Of course, the devil also quotes scripture. What is going on here is that Jesus is now emphatically the interpreter of the Bible. He is the rabbi par excellence. He's better than Moses. So um, in the temptation stories with Jesus quoting scripture, he is not only kind of figuring out what it means to be the Son of God, but he's also acting as the, the, the teacher. Whose voice are you going to listen to? The world's or Jesus's? Okay. Um, the reason I'm bringing this up, because as we watch the films, we should be asking ourselves, are these things being played out, or is something else happening? And we probably won't get to the King of Kings, so I'll just tell you right now, they just show it in the movie because it's in the Bible. I don't know what they're trying to say with it. but And you see that a lot in, in some of the films. They just do it because they know it's in the Bible and everyone's going to be expecting it. But they actually aren't really interpreting the scripture when they show the film. You can look that up later. All right, the purpose then. The devil tempts Jesus. Uh, when the devil tempts Jesus, he's tempting the best of human thought. And this is really important for us to kind of consider so when Satan tempts, we often think there's this evil, I mean, it, it's, it's this evilness. It's kind of, hey, we should be able to figure this out. And you see this in the film to a certain extent, uh, films, right, where um, whoever shows up, oh, it's a snake. Okay, well, why should I be tempted as, with a snake? I mean, it's kind of, I mean, who likes to go by snakes, right? We would run away from that. I know they're trying to draw on the Garden of Eden, but that doesn't apply anymore, right? I mean, so this is, this is kind of the thing is that 
So as we watch these temptation stories, a little part of us, we have to ask ourselves, and I do ask ourselves, are we tempted by these stories? And frankly, I don't think we are. I think the one that probably does the best job, although it is kind of quirky, is um, The Last Temptation of Christ. The other really good one is the Pasolini film, but it's, it requires the most effort to actually watch it because it's the most uh, simplistic. All right, um, and so what Jesus is being tempted with is not some sort of like, he, he's saying, hey, this is the best stuff in the world. Don't you want this? So, like when the Messiah comes, doesn't he want to feed the entire world? Doesn't he want to bring unifying peace on earth? Well, of course, right? I mean, these are all things that we strive for. Politically speaking, I mean, presidential elections, we're like, hey, this is what we want. This is what's best. And Satan is actually doing that. He's not, but what he's doing is, is this is the best human stuff out here. And of course, God is working, I mean, Jesus is working under God's will, not the human will. And so, as we read these temptation stories, I, I think a lot of us gloss over it. I mean, Jesus is the Son of God, right? What's the big deal? He's, he can zap Satan with his finger, right? You know, there's no, there's no struggle with this. Or even the temptations themselves. Again, we go back to the hunger one. Well, I'm really hungry, but you know what? I've got to get on this regiment. I'm just going to suck it up. I'm going to say no to bread. When in fact, it's, it's a whole different way of living. All right, anyways, so there we go. Um, yeah, so the tempter in Matthew appeals through human best, not worse. There you go. That's a, that's a good sentence there. All right, so kind of, to kind, of, kind of think about it is Philippians 2, 7 and following, or Hebrews 4, 13, we're not going to turn to that, but um, is that uh, Jesus displays the mind of God or the will, have this mind with each other as it is with Christ, who, even though being equal with God, did not consider it to be something to behold. That's Philippians 2.7. So, is that this is the mind of God. Whatever is happening in Jesus, this is, what, this is the mind of God, which is very hard to figure out. Because all of our temptations are to, I mean, how many times have we made choices based on bread alone? The size of our house, the car, I mean, we've all failed in these temptations. So, okay. All right, now the Gospel of Mark, uh, that's Mark, Mark chapter 1. And that's a really short one. We could actually read the whole thing and not even think about it. Because it's only, it's only uh, two verses. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. That's the temptation story in Mark. So the role of Holy Spirit in Mark is that he drives him out. So this is something interesting in Mark is that Mark, Jesus isn't like really the main actor in the temptation. It's the Spirit. He ejected Jesus. The word drove is like driving a team of horses. Uh, some of your translations maybe had thrown him out, maybe. I think that I might have been a translation. Yeah, that's that's that. Yeah, that's uh, that's okay, but that's not as graphic of an image. But sent meaning, hey, you go here. Um. All right, great. So the spirit is ejected. It's in the wilderness. So the wilderness, though, in the Gospel of Mark, is very hostile. But at the same time, that's where God's deliverance is. And I think you saw um, the uh, 
John the Baptist and Jesus in the last temptation of Christ scene around the, the fire, where John says to, to the Jesus character, the John character says to the Jesus character, if you want to go, uh, the God of Israel is the God of the desert, so you need to go out there and talk to him. And so he does, oh, I'm going to go to Idiom, or Diem, Idumia. Um, and then John says, but he's not alone out there. That's the only movie that has ever, like, it actually says that. Most of the movies, Jesus is like walking around. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, it, it's, I've always wondered about that. I mean, Jesus was in the desert. He's probably wandering, right, because he's like Israel of the Old Testament. But at the same time, I don't know, it's just kind of a hard picture to image, to imagine. He's kind of walking around, bumbling around. In fact, one of the films, Jesus, like, like is... Like, he's, like, in character. I think it's kind of funny, but he's in character, and then he kind of stumbles. Like, he legitimately stumbles. He, he doesn't try to. And he kind of straightens up. Just a, just a second. I was like, oh, well. He's kind of bumbling around. That's right. Stumbling. All right. So, but the whole, that, that image, though, of, of Jesus is going out into the wilderness to be with God is really, because um, in Matthew, it's to be tempted by Satan. The Spirit drives him out into the wilderness, and he is tempted by Satan. It's not a, like, a, like to be tempted. It's a different way of understanding it. So the wilderness in the Gospel of Mark plays a, a kind of a unique role compared to Matthew and Luke. I mean, it's similar roles, but not as, as uh, emphatic in the Gospel of Mark. Now, the thing is, though, when Jesus is uh, with the wild animals, he's acting like Yahweh, Isaiah 43. It's great. This is only in the Old Testament. So Jesus is kind of acting like God in the, old, in the wilderness, which echoes then Matthew. And Jesus, you know, he knows he's the Son of God. He is, no, he, he knows of God, but he's trying to figure out what that means. Um, now, the uniqueness of Mark, of course, there's no temptations Matthew and Luke have the same temptations in a little different order, but Mark has no temptations. So it's not like Satan says, hey, turn this bread into, I mean, stone into bread. That's very important for us to consider because in Mark, the word temptation or testing happens here in Mark chapter 1 and then Mark chapter 14, 38-ish. I think I wrote 38, but I didn't actually look that up. But it's, it's in the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus says, watch and pray, lest you fall into temptation. So these are bookends. So the whole, the whole story of the Gospel of Mark is playing out this testing and temptation. And you actually have the same temptations in Matthew and Luke, but they're woven into the tapestry of the Gospel of Mark. Same things. That Mark, he's a pretty smart guy. Which makes it a, a little bit more relatable for us. Right, because I mean, I don't know, but I don't go out into the wilderness to hang out with God and stumble around. You know, I—it's just part of my daily life, being tempted, being tested, and you see that in Mark. So I think that's pretty cool. Now the God, so okay, so now we say that uh, we have that. That that point though is kind of as we take a look at the films, you got to keep that in the back of your mind how Jesus is tempted along the way. Um, the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is just taken up. Oh, Krista, what's up? Yeah. I, when, I, um, when I first, uh, not first, when I read the uh, temptation, 
you know, there's um, the last temptation when um, uh, Satan said, uh, I give you the, um, the whole kingdom. Uh, yeah, the worlds, yeah. The world, and uh, um, that means that God allows Satan to reign over the world. Well, actually, uh, or else he's a liar. I mean, I don't think he's telling the truth. I, I think that's something that the nature of Satan is a liar. So everything he says basically is a lie. But the thing is, though, do we know it's Satan when he's talking to us? No, I mean, this is the, this is the, that's part of the, the testing, right? And in fact, in the, uh, um, the last temptation of Christ scene, even though it's a fictional story, it embodies some of the very interesting themes that you have in this, the, these scripture verses. Is in the last temptation, there's three temptations in the desert for this character. And the last one is this bright light. And at first he says, Archangel, step away, you're too bright, because the middle of the night and he's been. And, uh, I mean, so he, think, he thinks it's like he's on his side. He's here to help him. He's one of the angels ministering to him. But he, he listens to the, this, this bright light, and, he, and then it dawns on him. And he goes, Satan. And once he names him, it goes away. So it's, it is, it's, I think that's a pretty interesting scene because when Satan shows up, he thinks he's an angel. Like he thinks he's good. He thinks he's, that's part of the testing. But he's lying through his teeth. He doesn't know what he's talking about. And actually, the first film that we'll take a look at, I think, embodies this because the Satan character in that story is probably the most gentle and loving. So, um, yeah, so I think, I think, though, that so this idea that, I mean, this is another great thing that Luther talks about with regard to Satan. I was thinking about bringing that up, but a right, little tangent. Um, Part of, uh, so Luther has these three scenarios. These are the three things that make a good Bible reader. Let's put it that way. This is how you read your Bible. You pray, you meditate, and you're tempted. Horatio, mentatio, tentatio. Um, And you're tempted by Satan. And Luther says, Satan is the greatest teacher. He is the uh, ultimate theologian. Now, why in the world would he say that? He would say that because he knows, he knows his Bible. Now the thing is, though, and what this is, it, but it works, it back, backfires for Satan, because as you pray, you meditate upon God's word, then you go live your life. You're tempted. What the Christian does is, where do you turn then when you're tempted and tested? You go back to prayer, back to meditation. So Satan is a fool for doing this, because you just go back, you go back into God's word, God's prayer. And so what Luther says is uh, Satan's is, is God's fool. It's God's, God's servant. God can u- utilizes Satan's work, which is for us, for us to think about, right? Because a little part of us think, you know, Jesus and Satan are kind of duking it out, right? I don't know if you guys remember Carmen from way back when in the 1980s. The boxing match between Jesus and Satan. Anyone that ring a bell? YouTube it. Carmen, uh, I don't know if it, that's, uh, he's kind of like Madonna, right? They just got a name, right? One, one name, Carmen. Okay. 
it's got this very powerful song about how <laughs> Jesus and the devil are like in the ring. Like, but it's not like that at all. I mean, it's more like the great divorce when we read that and, you know, hell's like this little pinhole, you know. Satan, Satan really has no, no power. He's just, God uses him. All right. Okay, so the Gospel of Luke. Uh, uh, let's, uh, let's, uh, the, let's just talk about the order, and then we've got we to gotta get going. So the, the wrong order. So Matthew has a certain order. Luke switches the order, and the, the, the temple is the last one rather than the second one. Now, why is that? Because the temple serves a very important purpose in the Gospel of Luke. Jerusalem is, is really important. In, so that's Luke chapter 4. Sorry, I, didn't, I don't know if I mentioned that. So, uh, Jesus, of course, is presented at the temple. Simeon confesses this uh, statement. Behold, my eyes have seen the salvation. Um, and then in Luke chapter 9, Jesus makes his face towards Jerusalem to the temple. So this is where he, like he ultimately undoes or show how he has overcome the temptation of the temple by not coming, falling off the temple and the angels revealing themselves. But he comes in power and glory in the clouds, precisely on the cross. So it, it's, uh, that's why the order is a little different, because Luke is telling the story with a little bit different emphasis. Okay. Israel distilled the one. I guess that's a really important one. We should probably talk about that. So, Israel, right? God chooses Israel and in the wilderness calls Israel my son. But of course, they spend time in the wilderness and all Israel does is disobey, puts God to the test. That's a big deal at Massah or Massa where they put God to the test. Jesus goes out into the wilderness 40 days and basically does exactly what Israel was supposed to do. So Jesus is the Son of God who does, who is obedient to the Father's will and voice. So the faith, all of Israel is kind of distilled into one person now, into Jesus. You have that in all three Gospels. All this stuff is interplay, but it's more primary. That's what's first before the other ones. All right. So let's, I mean, let's take a look at a couple of these films. Um... Yeah, I have I have the same questions for every film. From the fi- so the gr- first film uh, clip we're going to watch is the greatest story ever told. From the film, do you know what Jesus is doing and why he's doing it? This is important because <laughs> as we watch films, you know, we should be commu- like we should be able to know what's going on. Now, of course, you know what's going on, right? Because you've read your Bible. But just imagine you being a non-Christian and watching the film. Does it does it make sense? Um, what's Satan like, and does the scene lend itself to a specific gospel? Does it follow a certain gospel? Uh, is it believable in the terms of the film? This kind of goes back to kind of what's going on here, like it seems out of place, because Jesus of Nazareth, they make an editorial, and they say it's not, it's not going to help the film, so we're just going to keep it out. We're going to take it out. It's a tangent in their minds. Um, oh, and then are you tempted? So is this relatable? Is this scene relatable? All right. Greatest story ever told.
Okay. Um, oops. All right, so this, obviously it was done kind of uniquely. It's not in the right order. Everything's all screwed up. But the interesting thing for, for me was the Satan character. He, uh, very soft-spoken. Um, his, uh, the way he ate drove me crazy, though. Yeah, so, yeah, so the... Yeah, let's let's hang out. Exactly. So that's exactly right. You know, I mean, uh, now the only situation is is that you're not really told why Jesus is going up this mountain. I mean, he's baptized by John the Baptist. John the Baptist says some great things about who he is. He's quoting Old Testament messianic prophecies as Jesus is walking away, but he's just walking away, and, and you know, he's climbing up this mountain. Um, so, on a certain level, you're asking yourself, like. Well, what, I mean, hey, this sounds like this sounds like a solution to the issue here, right? This guy's really enjoying this food, whatever it is. Um, so, on a certain level, his character, I think, is is, is compelling. On a certain level, it's he's not as uh, scary, maybe. Now, of course, though, as we take a look at these questions. Um, it does the does the scene lend itself to a specific gospel? Uh, what's that? It is a composite, right? Jan, what were you going to say? But isn't that what temptation is? Subtlety, right? Mm-hmm. You know, in most cases, the devil isn't going to come at us like a roaring lion, right? Because we're going to take tail and run, right? It's easy to avoid temptation when it's obvious, right? As a Christian, the devil has to be more subtle. Mm -hmm. That's right. So this is important for us because um, unless you're going to keep temptation totally Jesus' problem, we have to ask ourselves, you know, what are the subtle, you know, we have to really be uh, cognizant of our own life and the decisions and the thoughts we have. Holly. Uh, just looking at the gospel of Luke, it seems like Satan begins in a subtle way. And then at the last one, it's like, well, then just jump off here and, you know. Yeah. Rescue. At first, it's like, you know, make bread and right. on the stones, or this could all be yours. And then Jesus keeps denying Satan. And he's like, okay, let's go over here. Yeah, so there is there's somewhat of a crescendo. crescendo Shendo, is that right? Going up? Um, with the temptations and Satan's attack. At the same time, and I, you notice it kind of subtly here, but there's a couple other films where it's really obvious. G- Jesus is gaining strength as he is refusing the temptations. or Because or the last one was kind of interesting. I mean, Jesus was like gone. He was on his way. He's like, you know, forget it. You know? It's almost like Satan was like, uh, you know, looks around like, oh, yeah, if you're the son of God, turn this, you know, stone into bread. Jesus is like, okay, forget it. So um, I think that's something that's kind of a a unique interpretation of the scriptures. Because we're not actually told if Jesus is gaining strength. However, the angels are ministering to him. 
And so we have to ask ourselves, what's going on there? Is he gaining strength from his communion with the heavenly angels? Probably. I mean, well, I don't know what angels do. That would be it for another movie that Mary Ferrer has seen with me. <laughs> Wings of Desire. Anybody see that movie? Yeah, I know Holly has because I've, I've tortured her through that. So <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Far Away So Close is the other one, too. All right. Uh, the next film is actually Jesus of Montreal, which we haven't seen yet of. Jesus of Montreal is a modern retelling of the Jesus story. It is about an actor who's hired by the Archdiocese of Montreal to put on a passion play at this shrine that they have in Montreal. It's up on a mountain. And there's been a passion play uh, happening at this place for forever. And, but the, the, the priest wants to kind of jazz it up, modernize it. So they hire this actor, and he does a fantastic job, does a great job. Now, of course, when you do a good job, something comes with this. And so we're going to take a look at a kind of a modern uh, temptation scene. Um, it's in French, so there's subtitles. Um, and this is not at the beginning of the movie. I'll, just say, I'll keep it that way. He actually was just on trial for vandalism and violence because he he took one of his actors, actresses she was going to shoot a commercial or you know audition for a commercial and it turns out to be a beer commercial and of course there, she's asked to to not display her intellect let's put it that way and the Jesus character his name is Daniel uh, so, you know this can't take it the way she's being treated. And so he pushes over the cameras, flips the tables upside down, rips out the cords, takes the cords and starts whipping. So what, what happens? I mean, what is that? That's the cleansing of the temple. That's right. Um, and so he gets arrested, obviously. And this is at the tail end of his... Uh, he's, he's arrested. He stands before Pilate and is interrogated. And the psych, court psychologist, he, uh, Jesus pleads guilty. He's like, yeah, I did all that. And the guy's like, you got to go see the psychologist because that's, that's crazy. Psychologist returns and says he's more, uh, he's, he's, uh, he, uh, more level-headed than the judges of this precinct. So the judge's like, well, I, you did plead guilty. I have to sentence you. So we're going to. You have to return without fail. You're going to return, right? Yes, I'll return. And then you find out there was a guy who was helping, who wanted to help Jesus in the trial. And then this guy comes back. That's the guy. Not this guy. This is the judge, but the guy you'll see in a second here. Okay. Um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, right. So the reason why I wanted to show you that was because um, you have an actor who obviously is a starving actor, and he's got some success, and this guy's here to help him take over the city, you know, have lofts in New York, and uh, what every actor wants, right? I mean, this is why you go into acting, to make a living. Um, this is why you do your job. So uh, it's, uh, it's a fascinating thing, because 
What he, now of course, we're, we know he's swarmy, right? Because he's got a 17-year-old girl with him for some reason. <laughs> um, however, you know, remove the girl and the fact that he was willing to help in the trial, you can imagine how easy that would be for a starving actor to say, oh, absolutely. Did you understand the whole writing the book bit? Jesus, you know, didn't write a book. He had people write for him. So you have all this temptation that this man, based on the passion play that he's put on, is now going to go worldwide. He is going to be all over the world. So, of course, though, as an actor, is he faithful to the craft? (laughs) Faithful to acting. Um, You know, it's a metaphor, obviously, for life. And, uh, uh, you know, he's... He doesn't hook up with this guy. It's 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 he's all done. So, his um, now the thing is though he doesn't speak much, does he? Yeah. In fact, that last little bit, aren't you know? Are you okay being here? And what do you think his his response was? If I was here every day, you you kind of wonder. Well, then maybe you would have a problem. But you know, eating a good meal every now and then is not a not a problem. Um. Okay, so the thing is, is that, I mean, I guess I talked about it a little too much, but was, um, you know, what is Satan like? He's enticing, successful, a little swarmy, slick, yes, exactly. You could tell when this movie was made because of his jacket and his, uh, yes. So maybe not as enticing as he once was. Um, does the scene lend itself to a gospel? Not really. I mean, it lends it to all of them, I guess. But um, It is very believable within the film, and to a certain extent, I think it is a very faithful retelling because it, it, it creates a scenario where we can easily relate to this. I mean, I think in any one of our jobs, if we had the opportunity to make it big, would we, would we take it? Well... Yeah, I guess so, right? I mean, I, I mean, I think everybody would. But do those decisions have ramifications? What does that mean for you? Who are you going to be working under? All right, now um, we have. So I'm going to show you the uh, Jesus film scene because it's you know it's probably the most kind of it follows very sequence. I think I think we mentioned how the Jesus film follows the Gospel of Luke, so it will be. But one of the things about the Jesus film I want us to think about is, you know, Satan's image. And also, um, again, what's, what is Jesus doing in this scene? Okay. Okay. So, um, that, that, I, that was a tripping one. I, I, if anything bad happens, I always think it's King of Kings, 1961, because I, I really can't stand that film. But it was that one. Um, now, the one thing, though, uh, that I wanted to show it to you was is that how they, they, they uh, showed Satan as a serpent, but at the same time, you're thinking about he has a rock in his hand. You know what I would do with that rock if I was sneaking him up to me, right? I just thought that was kind of interesting. And, and so then this, this is one of the things is that if I were to listen to the story, it would be probably better than me watching the story because of just kind of some of those things. So he's tripping, he's got the rock. Why doesn't he throw the rock at the snake? Um, and then also, too, where it says um, Jesus was kind of taken up on the mountain or led up the mountain by Satan, but you don't, I mean, he's just by himself walking around again. Um, it, it's just kind of, a, it's kind of peculiar 
the images and the and the voiceover and and things. So this is one of those things where I think the use of like the 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 use of voiceover is probably too too heavy. Which of course though works great though for the purpose of why it was created, right? Mentions he's 30 years old. I mean this is all real this is all very helpful. But again as a film there's a disconnect between what's happening the words and the the images. Again, not as bad as King of Kings. King of Kings, Jesus is on the bottom of a hill, and Satan's like, come on up here, I want to show you the kingdom. I, I would be like, no, I'm tired. I'm not going to walk up this mountain. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's just kind of over the top. I mean, I read, I'm like, holy smokes. This, I don't know why people, I, don't, I can't believe they made this movie, King of Kings, 1961. Uh, Nancy. Well, you know, like you said, the purpose it was made, it, it is trying to follow the Bible. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. And so, you know, trying to be kind of literal that way. And, um, I mean, at least in this one, he was on the temple. And right. Said, you know, instead of being thrown down and then looked down and you see the door and whatever. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. You know, and, and I was disappointed they didn't show all the kingdoms of the earth. Well, yeah, which I thought was an interesting take, too, yeah. yeah but, but, you know, for the purpose, you know, plus in most parts of the world, even if they don't have any Right. Everyone hates snakes, exactly. Well, that, that, again, that's why I think it's a little bit... Uh, there's a couple other films that have snakes in it, too. Again, for me, that's not tempting for me. That is like, I hate snakes. It's easy for me to, to like avoid. And so that's why, again, but in the film, if you watch it from the beginning, that snake has already appeared in the Garden of Eden. So, I mean, that's, that's a kind of a nice little poetic touch. However, again, trying to put ourselves in this, this moment of temptation on a certain level, well, just throw that rock at the snake. Just get rid of it. Um, but, yeah. So, so, yeah, but again, this is where I think the, 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 the language is way a lot more helpful than the, the, the images themselves. Um, all I can say, though, is King of Kings, don't, don't watch it. Right. Pause. Right. Each temptation. This one, he was just boom, spot on, spout this stuff. So as a human, right. I could more relate to that when we often kind of think for a minute and go, you know, okay, yeah, no, I'm not going to do that. Sure. He was so sure of himself each time. Right. So as far as teaching and being relatable to sinners and saints, I found this less so. Right. Now, so this, again, this is one of the things that the temptation story, this is, yeah, that's right, that's right. So this is why, we, you know, taking a look at the temptations overall, Jesus is portrayed kind of uniquely in each of the, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And in, in uh, uh, you know, what, what, um, in Matthew, well, just Matthew and Luke especially, um, Jesus is, is again, he's, he's, he's kind of quoting the scripture, he's, again, we have to ask ourselves, is this like us being tempted or is this like the Son of God being tempted? And on a certain level, it's, it's a unique situation. And so that's why it's very hard to portray. For what Martha's saying is like, on a certain level, he's got to be like me, but at the same time, well, he can't be exactly like me because I'm a damn sinner, right? 
So this is why it's real hard in the temptations to portray because how do you how do you do this where you want to be relatable but at the same time you want to portray that the son of god is kicking satan's butt right yeah so now uh we're out of time but if you want to hang out you can see the last temptation of christ scene uh we'll pray then whoever wants to go you can go whatever um well let's pray then if you want to hang out we can check it out and lord remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. All right, see you. But uh, if you want to stick around... The last temptation of Christ is completely unrealistic. It's not really helpful in terms of retelling the Bible story, but it's already said that at the beginning of the movie, right? This is a fictional account. What is really interesting about this scene is the, the temptation aspect. It, can I relate to these temptations? And so that's why I think it's cool. Again, Jesus is walking around. Oh, one other thing, too. Uh, there's a, towards the end of the scene, we're tempted to think about this, this uh, thing in a way that's actually not correct. So I, I don't want to give it away, I guess. All right. Anybody left here? Oh, hey, all right. All right, so obviously, I mean, it's not a literal rendition. Snake comes about again, right, of course. Uh, what is Jesus tempted with with the snake? A human family, a life according to bread, a human life, not a godly life. Now, of course, though, uh, the snake's voice is a woman, and she's actually a woman in the movie. It's Mary Magdalene's voice, um, uh, which is you know kind of interesting. But the other thing, though, is is that so it is a it is a it goes to that same temptation told in a different way. And is Jesus seen straightly, though? This would be kind of the question. Does he really see a snake? Because he's not going to be tempted to marry a snake, of course, right? <laughs> but, um, you know, she's like, just nod and you'll be with me. It's a, it's a very, it's a lustful sort of upside-down sort of temptation. The second temptation, though, oh, so then between that, Jesus says, after 10 days, the, the hunger went away. So he's gaining strength as it goes by. And so the second temptation with the, the, the lion comes in and says, hey, um, you know, you wanted a kingdom. Jesus is like, no, I didn't. And he says, you know, come into my circle so I can rip out your tongue. I mean, he's, now he's got really, you know, he's really strong. That final temptation, though, of course, is what is what is Satan actually telling him? Is he telling him a? Is there a truth and lies in what he's talking? Yeah, right. He's saying you are the Son of God. This is a true statement. These are true statements. That so now he wants to take that spot. He wants to be equal with God, which of course is Satan's deal all the way from the beginning of time. Right? He wants to be with God. He wants to be on the same plane as God. So. Uh, he's, you know, so Jesus being tempted is he's confusing Jesus. He's trying to get things all mixed up in his head 
so that Jesus just simply says, okay, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. But when he names Satan, he has power over him and he goes away. Now the tree. What tree is that tree? Well, actually it's not. Uh, that's the thing. Everyone thinks it reminds of the Garden of Eden, which of course he's giving into temptation, right, by grabbing that? No, it's the tree that John the Baptist is talking about that needs to be cut down. This is, this is the axe is already... So, it's a trick. I mean, it's, it's fascinating. Which, As a viewer, we're given into the temptation right away. Oh, that's in the Garden of Eden. What's going on? Jesus is given into temptation, as Adam and Eve did. But in fact, he's eating a rotten fruit. And he knows, you will know what kind of tree it is by its fruit. So he eats the fruit, which needs to be cut down. The thing is, though, what tree is he cutting down? It's a bloody tree. The tree of life, otherwise known as the cross. I mean, I think that whole scene is genius because I, totally was, I was totally tricked. I was tested and I failed because I thought it was the Garden of Eden. I'm like, oh, what is going on here? That, well, exactly. You're like, wait a second. This is not quite right. Because the tree of good and evil was good to the taste. That's right. That's exactly right. So, but, I, you know, I totally feel that. <laughs> I just was like, so anyways, though, um, and the reason why we know it, it's related to the cross is because of the blood, but also John the Baptist shows up. And, you know, he's got blood everywhere. Well, it. It's, it's a dream sequence because his head's been chopped off, and that's the blood from his head being chopped off. Um, and you find that out just right, right after that scene. Jesus comes out of the uh, wilderness, and he's told that John the Baptist has been beheaded. Anyway, so I, I think it's a very interesting scene because of the ability to tempt us and test us as a viewer. I think that was just really interesting. Because we're all thinking, hey, this is the story of, you know, this has some sort of biblical thing, and we're going to want to think this of the film. But in fact, we, that's, not, that's not the case. So, that's the last temptation of Christ. So, don't tell, don't tell people you're watching it, because that was banned in many cities when it came out in, like, 1984. And rightfully so. I mean, it, it's, but the one thing is that disclaimer that I showed way back when was, I don't understand why people just didn't say this is a fictional. I mean, this is, they say it's a fictional account. Really, the book is made, it's really made for us. What if we were in this place of Jesus? How would, what would we do? That's kind of to think about it. So it's kind of the opposite. As, as Jesus is put into our story, the movie is kind of the opposite. What if we were put into Jesus' story kind of thing? Which, of course, we, when you watch the movie, you fail all the time. I mean, it's very fascinating. And it's the last temptation of Christ, which is actually when Jesus is hanging on the cross. So throughout the movie, there's temptations continually, which is like the Gospel of Mark. But I just wanted to show that to you. Thanks for sticking around.